Welcome to the vineyard. So glad to have you with us here on a, it looks like a really nice day out there. And welcome those of you joining us online. Hope it's nice where you are as well. We're hopping into our series, Are You Ready? This series is ultimately about hope. And, and uh, I think it's a big deal that we get our hope right. And, and when your hope's right, it really changes everything about how you live now. And so we've been, we've been looking at hope, and then we're looking at motivations. Uh, we started, and I said the enemy has two big motivations that are in our culture, uh, and that sort of, you know, get things going. It's greed and fear, and it's the power of sin and the power of death. And we have Jesus who's come and defeated those things, but the enemy is not yet departed. And so we see them at work. And that if you're looking around us, and, and if we're, you know, honest with ourselves, we'll see how big a deal greed and fear play in our lives. But our motivation is to be different. We're to be motivated by love. And that the way that that actually happens, the way you transition from greed and fear uh, into love is kind of having a real good handle on your hope. And that's how I understand it. So we need to know this hope we have and it's all about the love of God and all these things going on and how he pursues us and dwells with us. And so we're looking now at themes that kind of run through the scripture so you can see how it ties together. And I've been talking, among other things, about exile and exodus and tabernacle. And, and you know, exile is about us telling God we want to go on and do our own thing and we end up under a different authority. Exodus is how God moves on our behalf because he loves us and makes a way out. Tabernacle is all about where heaven and earth meet, us and God together. God wants to dwell with us, and those themes are running throughout the Scripture. So we're going to talk some more today about the idea of tabernacle and temple in just a little bit, but let me get these bad jokes out of the way. I read about a new carry-out restaurant which only sells dairy. They call it Way to Go. My wife said that was, my wife told me after the first time I did it, it was good but not funny. <laughs> Last week I told you a bad joke about if you saw a, a robbery at an Apple store, did that make you an eyewitness? Well, the counterpart to that for you Android people, uh, what do you call security guards working outside Samsung shops? Guardians of the Galaxy. Lastly, interesting fact of the day, in Sweden, all government-owned ships are required to have a UPC code uh, printed on the hull. And when the ships are returned to port, it helps them Scandinavian. <laughs> Alice, come and read, pray, do all those good things. That was kind of cute, Scandinavian. 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 Yeah, that was cute. Morning. Good to see all y'all. Hope you're having a good week. Let's press into Papa this morning, shall we, before we read the word? Oh, Lord, you are so good to us, Father. Lord, we just come before you this morning and lay down any burdens or worries or cares or concerns right at your feet, knowing we can trust you to carry them. Father, and in fact, when we lay them before your feet, we are, we are lifted up. And as we dig into your word today, Lord, I pray that we would keep our eyes and our hearts focused on you, knowing that you care for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand with me, please, for the reading of the word? The text today is out of Second Samuel, and this is chapter 7, verses 11b through 14a. The Lord declares to you, 
that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. When your days are over, you will rest with your ancestors. I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. Blessed be the word of the Lord. Y'all can be seated. All right. I'm going to get a sip of coffee. Sorry, but I see it. We, I made an executive decision and switched us back to baby's coffee again. And it's so good. So the regular and the decaf out there are babies. The Cuban is not because they don't make one. But uh, So pardon me now. I still haven't had my sip. I was down there talking to the guy that owns babies, Gary. I said, okay, dude, we're back. I'm going, to be, I'm going to be buying coffee for babies, coffee from you guys. We're going to serve it at church. He said, you're going to kill my Sunday business. <laughs> get, they can get it free there. I'm like, yes, good. Right. Tell your friends. You don't have to drive down to... Just come here. Brood. Nice. Okay, so last week... We were talking about tabernacle. We were in Exodus 40. And, um, and uh, let me say, too, the passage that I had Alice read, that you should have that like circled in your Bible and underlined. It's one of those big, big scriptures. And I'll, I'll tell you why as we dig into it. But last week we were in Exodus 40. And if you remember, uh, the tabernacle was built and the presence of God came in the tabernacle. And it was a significant deal. It's sort of a, it hadn't happened since, you know, Genesis 1 and 2 and 3, right after the fall. There was no place then after the fall where heaven and earth met. But it's God's heart. And so, you know, you have the idea of exile. We get sort of kicked out of the garden. And then you have exodus that actually happens. God makes a way for us to be rescued. And then his heart is to dwell with us. Tabernacle, a place where heaven and earth meet. And I, I want you to be thinking about how important that is, uh, that, that you get the idea that heaven and earth meet, overlap. And, and that we live in the overlap. As believers, we're living in the overlap. Jesus modeled that for us. He was a place where heaven and earth met. He's the temple. We'll talk more about that next week. But now, Holy Spirit's in us. We're a place where heaven and earth meet. We live in the overlap between heaven and earth already. If you're a believer, somehow you've gone... To the cross with Jesus, he's taken you from death to life. He's pushed you forward into eternity, yet you still live here. But, but now we live in this overlap. Last week I said that's what prayer is about. Prayer is the language of living in the overlap. So you need to know why it's so important. And we dug into that. Well, Exodus 40, the, the, sure enough, the Lord shows up when the tabernacle's built, and, and we have this really cool moment and time, and everything is good. It's not like it was in the beginning, but we have a representative of the image in Aaron at that point in time who's going and able to go in and out of the presence at certain times. And so we have things happening once again, and it's a very significant deal. Well, the idea of heaven and earth meeting... Um, would have been easier at the time the Bible was written for people to sort of grasp, but particularly New Testament, because even uh, even the, the false temples that were built, if people went in them, their their belief would tend to believe that they were actually entering into heaven. There was a it was a picture for them; they could understand that as being a real thing. 
it's harder for us in this point in time to grasp the idea that heaven and earth overlap because we've had all sorts of things that have been coming against that for a long, long time in our lives. A lot of different philosophies and ideas about things like uh, Epicurus, Epicureanism. He said, uh, and it's impacted us for a long time now, that heaven and earth are millions of miles apart. And that's the picture that we are really fighting against. Most people feel that way if you start to talk about them. The, the even believers think that heaven is way up there and this is earth and the two are separated and that's just the way it goes and maybe eventually you might get there but that's the whole sort of deal we have that going against us but that's not what scripture teaches then you have uh, sort of the, the stoics idea stoicism is a big thing that that god really if he does exist he probably doesn't exist but if he does he doesn't have anything to do with us and and you get this idea that if something's going to happen it's up to us to make it happen and that's philosophy has impacted us for a long time and we've had ideas culturally that have been a big part of us like from the 1700s to the mid-1900s we had a thing called modernism most of you know that but the idea then that was that somehow science could fix everything and that you could find out all truth by science and that it was just going to make everything great and it was going to lead to some sort of utopia but it doesn't deal with evil and it, it sort of ends up with some horrible world wars and, and things that were invented in, in hastening that and so after World War II, modernism kind of stops and is replaced, the beginning of it's replaced with postmodernism. That would be sort of the period we're at now. And postmodernism is the idea that, that came out of modernism now, that you really can't know what truth is. Science, can, there's, there's no way of knowing it. And um, so it can be whatever you want it to be. And, and you might think something is true, and somebody else might think something is true, and that's all good. We can all have our own truth, and here you go. And, and, so, and people have really sort of settled into that, by and large, that has impacted us. And again, that's not what Scripture teaches. Uh, and because, you know, for something to be true, it has to be true for everyone. Not that we believe it to be true. It has to be true. And it has to be true for everyone, or it's not true. But that sort of thinking isn't what's, you know, prevalent today. So we have these different things. So, so we've been impacted by all these things. And so when we, when we read the Bible story, sometimes we, we, we think we're trying to run it through all these filters and we miss what's going on. But what I want to tell you is there is a truth. His name is Jesus. And it's in his story that we have hope. And that's why it's so important that we understand and get a hold of his story and that we get an idea of what's taking place because it changes how we live now. That somehow because of what God has done and is doing and will do that it impacts us now in living for the kingdom and it changes everything and we can be people who actually are motivated by love instead of by the stuff going on in our culture so we have to embrace these things in what's going on so we were talking about tabernacle last week and how cool that is um, and, and so this week what I want to do is I want to talk about temple and what's happening is that Time has been marching on historically with the people of Israel. And they've gone through a lot of things. I'm kind of skipping over to get to these ideas. Uh, and, and they have, um, they've done some okay stuff and they've done some not great stuff and they've been through exiles and exoduses and all these things have been happening. Uh, and they moved through into the kings, which they really didn't need because they had God, but they wanted their own king and they had a bad king and then they got David. David was a good king. 
And uh, David sort of sets Israel up in a way that has never been set up before at this point in time. And they've, they've had victories over their enemies and the, the nation has been established and things are all really going well at this point in time in history. And David, what David wants to do is that David wants to build God a house. So that's where this idea of temple comes in. And if we start the story in 2 Samuel chapter 7, after the king was settled in his palace and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies around him, he said to Nathan the prophet, here I am living in a house of cedar while the ark of God remains in a tent. So David's like, this isn't really good. I got this nice cedar palace. And God lives in a tent. Now, it wasn't just any... You could read that and think he's in some old nasty tent. The tabernacle was really ornate and pretty good. But David's point is, I got a palace and, you know, God is God. And and so, you know, David... I, I think David wants to do something for God. He's he's sort of subdued his enemies and he's he's at this sort of place of rest. And ultimately, that not... That place of rest is going to get David in trouble again. But right now, um, what it's doing is he's got this thing. And I think it's probably a pretty good thing. Probably comes from a pretty good motive. Motive is one of those things that's hard to tell. But I think he probably wants to do something good for God. But he could have his own agenda here, what's going on. And he, he brings it up to Nathan. And Nathan, the prophet, originally thinks it's a good idea. But then he prays about it. And God says, no, that's not how it's going to go. And... Uh, you know that God knows what he's doing? You ever have an idea that you give to God and you're sure? It's like, the, this is a winner, God. You've just been waiting for me to give you this idea so that you can press in. And you're going to go, yes. And uh, it doesn't. He says no. And you think, wow, that's kind of weird. Well, that kind of happens with, with David here. And there's reasons for it. And, but you have to know that God knows what he's doing. I want you to get that out of today. If you, if you don't, I've got a lot of other things to say. But that point, God knows what he's doing. Because it's going to help you trust him and you can rest in his hope. I was thinking about another story I'm just going to toss in real quick. And I was thinking this week about John and James. All right? And uh, part of that stirred up because of The Chosen. And I've been thinking about their relationships a lot. And that's a really cool series if you get to watch. But I can think about it. Think about John and James. And um, in this season, there was a, they were doing some stuff. And there's sort of this jockeying for position going on around with the disciples. And all these things are happening. There's a point in Mark 10. This isn't in your notes. Verse 35. Where James and John, they get to Jesus. And they go and, hey, listen, we, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. Which is like, wow, that's a little arrogant. But we do the same thing. Hey, we've got this great idea. You're going to love this. And uh, he, and Jesus doesn't say, yeah, he says, what do you want? He, he said, well, that one of us, be at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Jesus, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptized? I'm ba-? You know what I'm talking about. And, uh, and, and, and they said, yeah, and he's like, mm, but you will. Uh, and uh, but he said uh, to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant these places belong to um, those for whom they've been prepared. And I, I thought about that for a long. This is really cool. So I, and I hope when you're reading scripture and you dwell on scripture and you think about the Bible, that things sort of open up for you in different ways. And and I used to think that that was all about they're trying to like jockey for position in heaven, you know, in your glory. And it's it's not what they're what they're dealing with. See them. The disciples believe that Jesus was going to be crowned king of Israel. And then he was going to defeat the Romans and set everything right. And they'd seen all this amazing stuff he could do, and they were sure that's what was going to happen. So when they're asking Jesus, they want to be at his right and his left in his glory, they're saying, when you become king of Israel, we, we want to be the guys on your right and left. Now, it could have been a very, and it very possibly it had a, they had a good motive behind it. They just knew that was going to be a busy job for Jesus, and they were, 
They were trying to be there to back him up a little bit. Had nothing to do with positioning themselves amongst the other disciples or anything. So let's give them the, the benefit. And, uh, you know, that's a good thing, too. Another little, give people the benefit where you can. Alice and I have been telling her, I've been teasing her lately. Sometimes when the enemy's on you and stuff, you, I, I, I call it being Judgy McJudgerton. And it doesn't mean anything theologically, but you get it, right? And I was like, stop it. Let's love people well. So anyway, John, so when, so here's the bigger story, because God knows what he's doing. And Jesus says, no, but I, you're going to think John and James are going to be thankful that he said, no, because of this. Uh, when Jesus comes into his glory, as far as they understand it, when does he be is crowned king of Israel? Is that the Roman soldiers crown him king of Israel when they put that thorny thing on his head? And the big sign goes up over the cross when he's nailed to it. Here's the king of the Jews. Who's on his right and who's on his left? Well, a couple of sinners that are being crucified there. It was, it was, that was, the, what, you know, that was part of their deal. And, and they're significant ultimately because one repents and one doesn't. And it means all sorts of other things for us. But I, I was just thinking about how, how sometimes God says no and it's a good thing. And you've got to know that he knows what he's doing, even when you have a good idea. Well, this is kind of what's happening with David. David has this, hey, God, I want to build you a temple. And uh, he comes back and he says, he says, no. What he says is, yeah, I'm going to build it. God will build the house. And so the, the passage goes on, and we were reading this earlier. Uh, the Lord declares to you that the Lord himself will establish a house for you. And when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. So now what happens here prophetically is that there's a couple of things happening. There's an immediate fulfillment and a longer term fulfillment. That happens a lot prophetically. And the ideas in this particular place are about a house and a family. And you can sort of get the idea that, you know, a house is a building, but a home is like family, that these ideas are being presented here. And so the immediate fulfillment of this is that, indeed, one of David's sons is going to build this temple, and that's Solomon. And it's really, and David so desperately wanted to do it, but he's obedient, but he, because he has everything ready, he's got everything stored up, so Solomon could just go ahead and make it happen. But even Solomon, now Solomon's a pretty wise guy, makes some bad choices, but wisdom he has. Um, he even says... I, can we really build a house for God? But he does it because he's been told to. Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in front of the whole assembly of Israel, and he spread out his hands toward heaven and said, Lord, the God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven above, on earth below. You who keep your covenant of love with your servants, which is, I talked about, it's so good that God keeps his promises, because what he says here is a little questionable. Who continue wholeheartedly in your way? Because there's not a whole lot of wholeheartedness going on. And Solomon and his drifted a little and and i love how when he's praying this he's he's asking hey you, would you do these things because of david <laughs> you have kept your promise to your servant david my father with your mouth you promised and with your hand you have fulfilled as it is today because Solomon's a little sweating it here because he's built this magnificent temple what happens if the presence doesn't come so now lord the god of israel keep for your servant david my father the promises you made to him when you said you shall never fail to have a successor to sit before you, me on the throne of Israel. If only your descendants are careful in all they do to walk before me faithfully as you have done. And now, God of Israel, let your word that you promised your servant David, my father, come true. But here's the thing. But will God really dwell on earth? The answer to that is absolutely yes. Absolutely. 
The heavens, even the highest heaven, can't contain you, how much less this temple I have built. But, and the reality is, yes, God will dwell on the earth, but not that the temple is so temporary, it's just a picture. Because God wants to dwell with us the way he did when he set everything up in creation, and that will happen again. And so it's significant that this happens. So Solomon builds a house, and the presence of God shows up, just so you know. Very cool. Boom. Now there's a place again. He moves from tabernacle to temple. There's a place where heaven and earth meet. That's significant. Still some restrictions and only representative going in there, but there is a very real place. Next week, we're going to see where the presence of God leaves the temple. It's written for us in Scripture. Because the people are rebellion and they go into exile, they're going to need an exodus and that'll be Jesus. And then, boom, presence. All right. But that's the house part. The family part is another matter. And this is the really cool part. This is why you should have this passage circled in your Bible. Because this is one of those mysteries revealed passages. Remember a couple of weeks ago I said, Paul said, God's chosen to reveal these mysteries of his will to us now because we can see it now through the cross looking back. We can see what he was up to. And so in Second Samuel 12, it says, When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, speaking of David, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. So that word there that's translated raise up could be set up or raise up again um, or resurrect Now, who do you know in the line of David who was resurrected? Hello. Back in 2 Samuel 7, God is telling us what's going to happen in this whole thing and how he's going to do it. And it's a, it's a promise that he's picking up the covenant of Abraham about offspring and seed and he's, he's going it through with what's going to happen and, and that, that Jesus is going to come and this, all this picture and we can run back to that, uh, that Abrahamic covenant, Genesis 15, where uh, God takes Abraham outside and says, look up at the sky and count the stars if indeed you can count them. So shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited to him as righteousness. So we see that how God is working this all together, this story. And we're included in that, the nations that, that God showed Abram. And then scripturally know that, that resurrection had to happen. Now, the, the people of Israel believed in resurrection, but they thought it would all happen at the end. They had, they had no sort of idea that there was going to come Jesus here in the middle of things to model it for us and to demonstrate what was going to happen and to change everything as the first of many. Paul said, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. It's all in there. And that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. All of this was written for for us. And, and back to Second Samuel. He is the one who will build a house for my name, talking about Jesus, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. You see these pictures, these amazing pictures of God's redemptive plan in action. And then the very cool news, and why we have so much hope, is that we're included in his family. Even though you think, well, I'm not in the line of David. No, but you're adopted in how? By the Spirit. The Holy Spirit adopts us in, and we can cry, Abba, Father. We're included in his family. That's when Paul's saying, 1 Corinthians 6, Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, who have you received from God? You are not your own. You are part of the family of God. And the Holy Spirit has, is now dwelling in you, a place where heaven and earth meet, so that you can know that you're a part of the family of God if you've come to love and accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. And he says, 2 Corinthians 6, 16, What agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? Because we're the temple of God. For we are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I love this, I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. When? Now. 
and then, but now. Because Jesus has come temple and Holy Spirit has come, dwells in us. We're the temple of the living God. God is walking with us. He's dwelling with us now. You need to know that the promises of what's coming have already somehow infiltrated the now. And we're living differently. And I love this. He ties in that last part of Second Samuel. We said, you know, I'm his father and I'll be his father and he'll be my son. Look at this, because this is you now. I will be a father to you. There's just two verses down from what I just read. And you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. See, this, this promise of house and family has happened. And you are, if you're a believer, you're the family of God. You're his sons and his daughters. And I, I want you to get a hold of that. Let that be your word for the week. Go back and read that and read that and read that. And anytime something happens, I just want you to, to say, you know what, now I'm not taking that in because I'm a son or I'm a daughter of the Lord Almighty. I have the Holy Spirit living in me. You know, I, I say that so often. Do you know why? I think it's one of those things. Remember I told you last week the enemy snatches away that stuff? I think that's one of the... He tries to get that out of you before you leave the building. That you have Holy Spirit dwelling in you. And somehow he tries to get you to forget it. Because that changes the way that you live. And so I want you to hang on to that. And I want you to hang on to that thought all week. That word, I am a son or I am a daughter of the Lord Almighty. And you get a hold of that. And whenever you feel that greed and fear mess coming on you. You go, no, I'm not going to there because I'm, I'm going to be motivated by love. You start to feel all judgy McJudgerton. Now you have a word for it. I'm not going to do that. I just want to be motivated by love because I'm a child of the king and my hope is in him. And I have his promises and I have the movement that he's made already because I'm a part of his family now because of what Jesus has done. Hang on to those things. It really does change everything. We're going to build on that next week and uh, move it up to see how Jesus begins to really fulfill that in us. Okay, I'm going to finish. Alice, my love, why don't you come and let us pray for folks and... They can think about that this week, and we'll get back at it next week. Papa, thank you for this amazing love that you have for us, that your desire is to dwell with us, and you do. You already do. We thank you. Holy Spirit, thank you that you live in us, and help us to to get a hold of that, to not let the enemy steal that from us. But throughout this week, moment by moment, to dwell on the fact that we're your children, we're your sons, and we're your daughters. And that that we have a deposit guaranteeing that in Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And let that change us. And let us get settled in you. And let us find life in you. And let us live for you in ways that we've never even imagined as we join with you in this incredible adventure that you've called us to. And, and the, the world around us is at unrest, but God, we can be at rest in you and we can pray. We can make a difference right now in the world. Let us live in that overlap between heaven and earth. And thank you. Thank you that you dwell with us here now. Alice. Amen. Good stuff. Just have a couple. The first one is, 
you know, we we live in a world where we're in, we're in a battle. Even though we don't have, you know, visible swords and, and that, we are in a spiritual battle. And I felt like the Lord wanted to minister to some hearts today that have battle fatigue. And this has been a difficult year for a lot of people. But the Lord just wants to minister to our hearts today. And when there's battle fatigue like that, just invite him in into the place where you feel exhausted or hopeless or you don't know what to do. Just invite him into that place. So I'm going to pray for you right now. If that if that ministers to anybody, just that word will hit some of you, battle fatigue. So, Lord, I just pray right now that for any of your saints that are feeling weary from the fight and, and hopeless or sad or just undone, Lord, that you would come and minister to them. Father, flow into their hearts, flow into their homes, Lord, as we go through this. In Jesus' name, amen. And um, I have another one, and it might sound a little silly to some of you, um, but I feel like there's an, um, a single lady, and you have been praying about going to going back to see your family this summer and you don't know what to do and you ask God just show me give me a sign this is your sign and he says you're going to be okay and you're safe and and go live your life and be with your family amen amen oh the kids are being so good it will rain children during doxology but let me just do this part if you don't know Jesus it's just He's done it all. Jesus, will you be my Lord and Savior? Best decision you will ever make in your life. Just That's all you've got to do. Just believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And, and if you haven't done it, do it today. Do it today. Uh, if you do, let me know by texting the word heart to that number. Or you can go to the website, and uh, newbeliever.com, or just our regular website, look for a new believer. And you can read what's there in a little form. Please, it will change you forever. Thank you again, church, for your generosity. You're an amazing group. I did want to just quick updates on some stuff that, you know, the food truck we've been talking about, that's well underway, and we'll start showing you pictures. We have a, a camera in it that we can watch the development, so we just got linked up to that, and uh, I, I looked at it over the weekend, and nobody was doing anything, so I don't have anything to show you, but I did see somebody walking by it once, so that was a win, and uh, the hurricane buckets I talked about, we, we, all this stuff's here for the first round, and we're going to put those together and give them away very soon. Thank you for being so generous and making those sort of things happen. Let's sing doxology and watch it rain, children. <laughs> Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Amen. May the Lord bless and keep you. May His face shine upon you. May He be gracious to you and give you peace. Go today in the peace, the power, and the love of God. Have a great day. Enjoy it out there. Catch some fish. Hope your team wins. Be thankful for five things. Encourage two people so we can get one lost child back to dad. God bless you guys. Bye-bye. Goodbye, everybody online. Thank you for watching. Hope it's an amazing thing. And uh, I hope you have some stuff to think about this week. Thanks for joining us, and have a great week. Yeah, have a great week, everybody. Enjoy your lunch. We have pot roast. <gasps> pot roast. Yay. Yay. You shouldn't talk about it. Now I'm really hungry. Got one more. Love you guys. Bye. Bye-bye.